HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by EscapeMaker.com. Visit a farm. Escape through the net. Visit EscapeMaker.com for more. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen, a cooking store located at 100 Frost Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Feast Your Ears. Today's a show that I am really, really excited about. Uh, I've been looking forward to this since we since we got this guest uh, in the studio with me today uh, at Heritage Radio behind Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick is Puma Ghostwalker. Uh, Puma is self-described as a wild child and a naturalist. Uh, he's a forager. He's a long-distance hiker. He's done a lot of different things. Um, and he's on a mission, I think. Uh, hopefully this he'll, he'll feel like this is a, a good description to teach us all the ways of the wild. Uh, Puma, it's an incredible pleasure to have you here. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. Thank you so much, Harry. I've been looking forward to this and finally getting to meet you. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up all around in rural America. So I spent most of my childhood without television. So I read a lot. I listened to radio a lot, music. I'm a big, big music fan. I have thousands of songs and symphonies in my head. So with that said, I I grew up in the woods. I love the woods. I love to be in the woods. I'd rather be in the woods than in a home. And you live in the woods now, right? Yes. I, and, uh, my late fifties, I still live in the woods. I live in New York city, but I live off the grid in a camper on 65 acres on the river. I'm just going to repeat that for those of you who might not have been paying close attention. Puma lives in the woods off the grid in New York city. I just want everybody to think about that for a second. I think it's amazing. Uh, we were talking before the before the show here. Um, we were sitting down, 
And it was something that I had sort of dreamt about when I first moved to the city about wouldn't it be great to live like you do in the woods in New York City? And wouldn't that be possible? Lots of empty lots and things around. And you've managed to, to do that. Um, it, sounds, it sounds great. I mean, my, my vision when I was thinking about doing it was that I would live in an empty lot next to a rusted car. It sounds like you have a really fantastic spot. Yeah, I, I have a camper, and it's pretty modern. It's uh, 2006. It's 32 feet long. It actually has a second bedroom, which I've converted into a laboratory, which I haven't done any experiments in mycology of late, but I can open up my lab at any time. So you ha- so you live in a space that's bigger than probably uh, many people's apartments. In Manhattan, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you mentioned a mycology lab. So mushrooms, obviously, are something that's of, of great interest to you. Now, let me also point out that um, if folks search Puma Ghostwalker online, you're going to find an incredible amount of videos. Um, Puma is a, is a great educator. Lots of videos about living in the woods, about foraging, about mushrooms. Um, so can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, about mushrooms? How did you get into to foraging and mushrooms? Well, I have to be honest that uh, when I was in my teens, I used to pick the psychedelics. It's a good place to start. And from there I developed and matured, you know, as much as a man can. <laughs> and I, I found that there's a lot of beautiful, um, wild edible mushrooms the morel mushrooms i actually find morel mushrooms here in new york city every springtime april into yeah april into may you know the last week of april and into may the morel mushrooms will come out i've recently become fascinated by mushrooms in the past couple of years and and sort of have started to learn a little bit about them and keep an eye out for them and i have a i have a good friend who uh who grew up actually foraging in queens uh in parks there with his father and has a couple of spots uh where he knows to always go for for chicken of the woods and yeah this uh we're coming into fall now and now there's a there's a mushroom that will be coming out it's quite large it grows around old red oak trees and tulip poplar trees it's called the hen of the woods the japanese call it mataki and they can get to five to ten pounds. Sure. I mean, really large. And they're a delicacy. They're a gourmet mushroom. Oh, they're fantastic. I, I like to take them and roast them just with a little bit of little bit of olive oil and maybe some fresh thyme or rosemary on they, it. They have, you roast They have such a nutty flavor. Very distinct. Yeah. Beautiful. They're coming in. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll have to I'll have to join you out in the field, and we'll go. I, you know, the funny the, the hen of the woods, the mataki, they usually will come up around the same tree every year. Oh, I guess, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. You know, the, my understanding is that a lot of mushrooms have that sort of relationship with a specific tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they end up being in a symbiosis. Kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. According to uh, Paul Stamets, <clears throat> the leading mycologist, uh, you know, he's just such a whiz in mycology. Um, you know, I've read almost all of his books. And yeah, um, mushrooms... And trees and other plants, they have a symbiotic relationship where they um, attach to the roots and um, they create a longer food chain. Right. It really helps reach out. So how long have you lived off the grid in New York City? I've been living off the grid here in New York City for several years, but I also did it when I was in my late 20s living in Southern California. I would live in a camper as well. I feel like that's, for a lot of people, sort of the dream, right? You go to Southern California, you can live on the beach for free. (laughs) free. And catch fish. Yeah. 
and forage. I mean, if you have a little bit of knowledge, there's a lot of food resources out there. Sure. I mean, you know, I mean, they talk about the, the whole idea, teach a man to fish, right? Mm-hmm. You know, teach a man to fish and he'll be able to be able to eat for his whole life. And I think that I think that there's been a, a certain amount of a return to that idea. Um, and I really I respect a lot of the a lot of the work that you're doing to kind of, you know, educate people about that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, I'm drawn to this lifestyle, but since the internet and these, all these various uh, social media um, with the internet, I actually started in 2008 on the internet, and I've been going ever since. And I was just sharing what I have to to offer, and I've become this big educator now. And now that I've have a TV show, and I have an upcoming TV show that I'm working on right now. We can't really talk about the details of it, but it's very educational. You know, people are interested in these survival shows, and you got the preppers, the doomsday preppers, the survivalists, <laughs> sure. and all these other extremists. You know, I, I find uh, to classify myself as more moderate. <laughs> well, and I think that it's something that is available to lots of people. You don't have to necessarily be a doomsday prepper ready for the zombie apocalypse to learn these skills and to make to make use of them. I mean, I, you know, I grew up and can't really I can't wait to teach my children how to fish mm-hmm. because I always felt like there was a lot of there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of power in, in knowing how to forage. And know, exactly. And knowing, you know, what you can eat and being able to provide for yourself. And, it, it, you know. I can I can think of few other things than foraging or fishing and being able to provide for yourself and you make that meal and you eat it and not only, you know, it's good if it's delicious, but you just, you know, you know that you are able to provide for yourself without any reliance on anybody else. Remember Sandy and remember how devastated New York was? Of course. It was incredible. How how in hours a grocery store could be emptied. Yep. And then what do you do? Right. So, so it's good. I mean, there are so many weeds just in your backyard that are edible. Sure, sure, absolutely. I mean, you know, we have a we have a roof deck uh, at our house, and even in you know, I had a couple five gallon buckets that I didn't plant anything in. I had tomatoes growing in them last year, and you know, we had lamb's quarter and purslane growing yeah. like crazy, and we ate salads from it all summer long. Lamb's quarter is actually a crop in some in some countries. They purposely grow it. Sure, and here it grows in the tree pits, and mm-hmm. nobody even even looks at it in one way or one way or the other. I was in San Francisco a few weeks ago, walking along, and there was fennel growing in some of the tree pits in San Francisco. <laughs> and I thought, man, you know, everybody talks about San Francisco being this sort of like elevated gourmet place. Clearly, if there's fennel growing in the tree pits, yeah, really yeah, is. I know, right? It's, uh, fennel is a weed, and, and, I, and I'm always disgusted by it. a weed is a made up word. There, sure. there are no weeds. <laughs> um, you hiked the Appalachian Trail recently. Yes, I did. Um, start to finish. I You started in Georgia and hiked uh, to Maine? Yeah, yeah, I was northbound, started in Georgia, and, and finished up at Mount Katahdin in mm. Maine. How long did it take? It took me nine months. Uh, it took me a long time because I would go off trail and, 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 and made side adventures. I videoed the whole thing and put it on YouTube, so I was uploading as I went. So that, that was time-consuming, and I would go into a town and... Uh, I went off trail in North Carolina purposely for about three days where I was prospecting rubies. Hmm. And I was in an old site where Tiffany's of New York actually owned a mine in the 1800s, and they closed it down, and I went on to that location there. I found probably two dozen rubies. I found a couple, or a carrot, two carrots, 
I found one which is actually a ruby hexagon crystal. Its weight was 90, 99.5 carats. It was almost 100 carats. Wow. It was, it was pretty enormous. That's amazing. And I keep it. And was that a site that you knew was, was there and had done some research about it? And yeah. Uh, it was, I, I've done a lot of research, and as I was backpacking, and I'm making videos, and I want to make it entertaining. So I have my knowledge of foraging. But with that said, there's a lot of history. And I love to, to talk about the history. In Georgia, where the Springer Mountain is, gold was first discovered. Not in California, but in Georgia, right next to Springer Mountain. Hmm. So, a lot of folks, and I've, I've done a lot of a lot of backpacking, and you know, sort of, especially as someone who works in food, and I, you know, I, I try to eat delicious, fresh food all the time. Backpacking that can be a little bit difficult, yes. and you know, I don't really relish the idea of you know opening up a bag of freeze dried rice and chicken and pouring hot water into it and eating that every night. Um, but it sounds like with your knowledge. You are able to eat pretty well on the trail, even though you're eating those things, right? You're able to supplement with a lot of foraged. <clears throat> yes, I was able to uh, supplement. I mean, as a staple as a backpacker, everybody knows it's top ramen. You know, it's a noodle. If you get two packs, 720 calories, because you need your calories. I mean, you're going to be out there for months at a time. You're going to lose a lot of weight. And ramen is light, so it's, <laughs> it's light, carry. <clears throat> but it also expands, so... After you eat it, you still may be hungry, but in 30 minutes, as it expands in your stomach, you'll be satisfied. And, and that's a, the important thing. So a lot of times when I'm hiking, I'll, I'll come across maybe some stinging nettles, and I'll pick it up, and I'll place it into my backpack where it won't get all nasty and, and melt on you. And I'd like to try to harvest right before you know supper time. If I can, as fresh as possible, right? As as fresh as possible, and I'll I'll mix that in. You know, stinging nettles is a superfood. It is loaded with vitamins and minerals and proteins. For sure, does the body good. <laughs> and then mushrooms. I mean, they're everywhere, but there are so many of them. You really need to know you know, by experience, what to pick. Sure, you can't just go out and grab any mushroom you see and start cooking it up. But a lot of people think that, you know, if it's colorful, it's poisonous. Like in the animal kingdom, a lot of colorful animals are poisonous. Now, there's a lot of colorful mushrooms that are poisonous, but there are a lot of uh, colorful mushrooms if you know the chicken of the woods. Yep. You know, the sulfur sure. shelf is beautiful orange and bright, bright yellow underneath. Absolutely. A polypore. It has no gills. Grows on deciduous woods. Gorgeous. Brightly colored. But tastes. You, you, um, if you batter them up with flour and saute them and cut them up, they taste just like chicken. I'm yeah. not kidding. No, they're, I mean, it, it, they're delicious. And those, you know, those grow here. I mean, they grow in New York City. Oh, yeah. You know, I've, oh, yeah. I've, I've had them foraged in, in parks in Queens. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're out there. Um, you just have to know what you're looking for. Absolutely. But once you know, you make that connection and you know, you just know it. When you were hiking, uh, the Appalachian trail, you were traveling alone. Yes. And it sounds like you didn't really have a specific timeline. You, you know, hiked as much as, as much or as little as you wanted. If you found a beautiful spot, you just stopped. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm humbled by the fact that you're able to do that. Uh, it's something that I've always wanted to do. And obviously, you know, someday I may be at that point. I'm in a different part of my life with children and, you know, business and things like that. But the idea 
for me, that's one of the sort of like lofty goals is to be able to have that kind of experience where I don't have to be somewhere on Monday morning. I don't, you know, I don't need to make a hundred miles a day because I have a flight to catch. Can just enjoy what I'm seeing. It, it, it was difficult to get there. I had a dream years ago. I was tired of living. I lived in an apartment building here in New York, <clears throat> and I said, what? "I'm wasting my life. I'm, I'm working to pay my bills. I can make changes." I decided, you know, I had to, you know, there are sacrifices with everything, and I said, "I am going." to buy a camper and I am going to find a place in the woods to live. And with that said, I have no bills, but I mean, you have always have bills, but I could go away for months at a time and not have to pay rent or a mortgage. Cause if you're going to keep your space, you're going to have to pay. Sure. So hiking the Appalachian trail was actually a gift to myself because I can do it now. So I decided I'm going to change my whole lifestyle, live in the woods, have very few expenses, and because of that, I'll be able to save money to afford this trip. And and it changed my life, and no regrets. That's that's fantastic. I mean, the yeah, let's you know, let's let's make no sort of you know misconceptions about it. The life that you've chosen. You know, it's not it's not like you gave up all these things and suddenly it's easy street. Right. Oh, no. I mean, we were talking before the show about, you know, last winter and, you know, you do have you do have running water in your camper. But last winter was so cold. I mean, our pipes inside froze. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that you didn't have any running water. Um, I had running water four days in January and only two days in February. Now, off the grid is a term that people might think of in different ways. You know, one form of that might be hiking the Appalachian Trail with everything you need on your back. Oh, yeah. You live off the grid in New York. Can you talk to what, how you define off the grid and what that means for the way you live now? Uh, I'm not dependent by any municipalities. Uh, every drop of water I use, I have to carry in. There are no facilities in the woods where I live. There's no electric. There's no sewer. There's no water. There's no heat gas nothing so i have to create i have to you know gather forage my own water i have to uh, a camper is like a car it's almost a, a 12 volt system so i have two marine batteries that i tie together to give a lo longer charge time i have solar panels that charge my batteries and i have a honda inverter hmm. for a backup so for you, off the grid is not being connected into the grid the rest of us are connected yeah. to, but it's not, you know, it's not living in a tent with nothing. Yeah. I mean, I have a cell phone and I'm on the Internet. And like I said, I'm an educator and I have used uh, the Internet as a tool. Yeah. I mean, how, how great is it that we have that technology available that you can live off the grid, but still stay connected? And I have connections all around the world. I use Skype. And, and we can, you know, have video conference yeah. and it's, and, and it really, it, it has brought the world closer together and it's brought, brought me closer together with the world. I have so many friends all around the world. It's incredible. Uh, that's fantastic. So we're gonna take a short break here and hear from some of the sponsors here at Heritage Radio. Killer of the mighty 
charm. Log on to escapemaker.com for more ideas on local weekend getaways and day trips, including orchards, farms, and wineries. Or come by Escape Maker's Yellow Tent in Grow NYC's Green Markets and pick up a guide to local agritourism escapes to the Green Market's own farmers and producers. The guide will be updated seasonally to feature farms, wineries, and destinations in New York City, New York State, New Jersey, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. Plus, Escape Maker will offer overnight packages to these destinations so you can get the full experience. No car? No problem. Escape Maker features plenty of ideas for car-free getaways, including discounts via Amtrak. There's no better time to explore outside the city. Soak up the fresh air and scenery like a butterfly and support your local farmer. Log on to escapemaker.com to get inspired and make your escape through the net. You still paying attention? Are you there? Hello, 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 hello. I'm talking to you. Hi. Hey, this is Jack Inslee. I'm the executive producer here at Heritage Radio Network. I've been here at the station since 2009, and I cannot believe just how much this network has grown over that time. We've been able to grow because of donations from people like you. So if you're enjoying this, if you laughed, if you learned something, contribute anything. A dollar, two dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, anything counts. And trust me, we'll appreciate seeing your name come through on the donations. So consider visiting heritageradionetwork.org, click on that little beating heart, the donate button, and show us you care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and with me in the studio today uh, is my guest, Puma Ghostwalker. Uh, if you haven't tuned in previously, uh, Puma is a naturalist, calls himself a wild child, and is sort of on a, a mission, I think, to help people learn more about what it's like to t- live with nature and live in nature. Um, he lives off the grid here in New York City, and uh, we've been having a, having a good conversation so far. So I wanted to ask you... A little bit about something that I saw. Uh, I saw some photos online of you carrying a doe, carrying a deer, um, and it looked like you were up to your waist in, in in water. Can you tell me the story behind that? Well, yeah, there's a backstory with that. First, um, I have a really close friend who's a professor at a local university, um, Dr. Ava Chin, and she just recently wrote a book called "Eating Wildly." Yeah, I'm looking forward in, to it. Yeah, in New York City, and. Um, she called me one day, and there was a bee swarm at the university. The university had already called the exterminators, and she said, whoa, 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 I got a guy who can catch them and relocate them. And from that time, um, I changed, uh, and, and with Ava's help, of course, uh, changed uh, university policy that anytime there's a honeybee swarm, they're going to call mm-hmm. somebody like me to catch them and relocate them. Have you ever met uh, Tony Planakis? Calls himself Tony Bees? No, but I, I think we have a mutual friend named Andrew Cote. Okay. That uh, first organized uh, New York City Beekeepers Association. Oh, I know Andrew, actually, Andrew, as well. Yeah. And, and Tony was my guest last week. Oh, so really? So Tony was on the show last week wow. and talking about, you know, he was a detective for 20 years in the NYPD, but has been a beekeeper since he was a teenager, and he was the bee expert for the NYPD. Okay. So every time while he was in the department that there was a swarm that the, the police department got called, he was the guy who went and rescued the swarm and found someone in the honeybee community okay. to take the to take yeah. it. Yeah, I'm one of those it. guys as well. It's really <laughs> funny great. because uh, I actually joined beekeeping uh, um, was illegal here 
uh, sure. until uh, several years ago, and it was through Andrew and the New York City uh, Beekeepers Association and, and, and people like me, people like us, people like Tony, that all got together and helped change legislation yeah. and that where beekeeping is once again legal here in New York City. Yeah, we keep hives on the roof of the Brooklyn Kitchen. Oh, so, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I was wondering if they were keeping uh, hives up here. They have in the past. I'm not sure if Roberta's has any currently. I know okay. they've had them on and off. Yeah, I was wondering because they have uh, wonderful garden areas. Yeah, it's, it's really, really fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've enjoyed walking around here and uh, just examining all the plants that they have growing here. It's really nice to to live in New York City and wildlife. If you're if you're keen and if you're looking, it's it's everywhere. Like growing up in in cracks and and in uh, in cavities of trees and sure. everything in San Francisco. Yeah, but uh, so Ava called me. I went and I uh, rescued the bees. I actually hive them myself in the woods where I live. I keep bees. And then Ava wrote a story for the New York Times and that made the Sunday print. And then she came to a follow-up visit. And I had found in this concrete pond, this wastewater area, um, some snapping turtles. And I said, while you're here, let's get some chicken uh, wings and tie some string and we'll catch snapping turtles and relocate them to a pond where they could have a better life. And she agreed to it, and as we went there, there was a baby deer stuck in this concrete uh, slab. Had 45-degree angle concrete, and it's slippery hard. Uh, so hooves. she had just slipped down into the... And, and, and it couldn't get out. And so it had wounds where it had bent its front legs and were trying to use the flesh as traction to climb up out of there, and it had wounds. It looked really terrible. It was probably been down there for a week, and it was close to death. So I told Ava, you know, we have to save it. And I went down into the, into the muck, and I remember getting closer and closer to the deer. I started from far away to just get comfortable with the deer because, I mean, it could bite me. It could kick me, and, and, uh, and it could just get away. So I kept my arms And it was wide. injured. And so. it was injured. It was threatened. And here it was close to death, and now here's this humans going to come kill me, eat me, uh, whatever it was thinking. So... I'm thinking, okay, let me, you see me, I'm moving slow, and I'm talking very, very softly to it, and trying to get it comfortable, and I was close, and now I'm right on its backside, and, and I'm touching its back now, and just kind of just slowly getting closer and closer, and then it spun, and it leaped, kind of made like a moo sound, and was leaping over my shoulder, and I just bear hugged it. And we went down into the swamp, and I came up with a deer in my arms, and I said, I am not, I've got you, and I am not letting you go. And I, I, I handled it, and I cradled it till I got into a good position. And once I got it into a good position, it just shut down. It just, the deer gave up. It collapsed. I, I, I was so afraid I was going to give it a heart attack, but I didn't know what to do. I was trying to be as calm as possible, but it just went limp. And I made it to a corner. Now, it was really high, and I tried to push it up up over my head, this deer, and I just couldn't make it. And it was so limp, it couldn't help itself. We were right on the edge, and I couldn't lift it any higher. And I was like, Ava, and Ava's taking all the photographs. And I was, I was like, Ava, you got to help me. And I was into a corner. And she goes, what do you want me to do? And I go, just grab its ears. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> she's holding the deer's 
ears, and I was able to climb up onto um, a, a pardon, a separator between the uh, moats of this concrete ditch, and I was able to grab the deer, and then with Ava's help, we were able to lift it up over, and then I cradled the deer, and, and you probably saw the pho- uh, photographs of me carrying the deer yep. away as well as me capturing it in, uh, in uh, the rescue in the, in the uh, swamp. And uh, that deer was a baby, and he still lives with me. He comes to visit me all the time. He's actually an eight-point buck now. Wow. He's got a heck of a rack, and he's looking really healthy. Last winter was was um, a really tough winter, and it's illegal to uh, feed deer um, in New York City. And so I wouldn't say that I fed them, but... Uh, I care for them. But you're still watching out for them. I'm definitely watching out for them and uh, all the wildlife that lives in my paradise. We are, we are guard, gardeners. We are caretakers. For sure. We, we were put here on this earth to use nature, not abuse nature. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great sentiment. Um, so you have your new show. That's coming up, but you also have done some other shows. Yeah, I yeah I did a show with uh, three other guys on uh, National Geographic called the Savage Line, where I'm backpacking all all across America, uh, tracking mountain lions and teaching people, you know, and, and mostly out west that are having problems with. Uh, Mountain lions encroaching to their property, mostly ranchers, people that have cattle, you know, and sheep. And mountain lions would rather eat deer. That is their 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 top prey item that they'd rather. But they're opportunists. And if you have a, you know, a, a young calf, a young sheep, you know, it will it, it'll go for it. So there are problems, and and they would hire Rob and I. Rob and I, Rob Hardy and I would. Uh, we were co-stars together, and we would teach people how to coexist safely with mountain lions. So we would track the mountain lion, find out its route if it's going past a a, a barn. Let's say we'll find its location. We'll build a huge human silhouette. And we'll put motion sensors on it with lights and with alarms. And as the animal passed, this motion sensor would set it off and give it a negative experience. And it would decide, you know, there's plenty of other places to go and no need to be stressed out. Mountain lions uh, avoid people. And sure, most most nature does. I think yeah. it's it's the people that go out into yeah, nature exactly. as we expand. Right? Yeah, exactly. So you know, it's not the mountain lion's fault. They were here, you know, and and we keep encroaching into wildlife. And either we, I mean, we tried to wipe them out. You know, years ago in the 1800s, we were just killing everything. We were killing the mountain lions. We were killing the wolves. And then there was a, you know, we decided that, hey, they're they're useful. They're, they're, they're living, you know, creatures, and they deserve to be here as well. So I'm really happy that it's becoming more mainstream, or was anyways with the wolves. It's still kind of a little weird, and uh, I'm doing my part. Yeah, I think that, I think that it's, it's nice to see and nice to hear that sort of as, as a whole, you're working on teaching people how to coexist with nature. And that's hopefully what people are doing more and more. I mean, I think that as we expand and as suburbs get built and things get, you know, we lose farmland to development and, and that sort of thing, it, you know, there are always going to be those sort of pinch points where we're running into 
mountain lions, but mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to shoot them, right? No, we can give them a negative experience. Hopefully, there is enough food to support them in the wilderness that's left, mm-hmm. and hopefully, we can do some conservation. We can move some of that land back. I mean, where I grew up in Westchester County, the land used to be all farms. I mean, it was all clear cut, and then was all farms and running all through the woods that I used to play in as a kid. There were, there were stone walls everywhere right you know but now there's 80 foot tall trees there and no one's ever going to cut those down again it's not worth it right and and they're never going to make that back into farmland so Mm -hmm. that will stay it will stay as forests Mm -hmm. so yeah and and i think that you know it's really important and in some of the outer boroughs here in new york city there are in queens and on staten island there are a lot of a lot of woodland and uh, there's a movement uh, forever wild and where the you know, the DEC and the Park Service are taking control of these lands and, and they are not going to be developed. And I'm really happy about that because there's plenty of other older developed sign, uh, sites that could be renovated. There are many, many empty buildings here in New York City that can be renovated. Yep. And we can we can continue to have our our urban life, which mm-hmm. a lot of us, you know, myself included, really, really enjoy. And then we can, you know, hopefully have folks like yourself who get to live kind of a dual life of having a life off the grid but you still have access to the things in the city if you want to go to a broadway show you still can (laughs) and it's funny that you mentioned that because i'm a big classical music fan i listen to uh the the local station here and i'm a big opera fan so i i I love the culture i love living in new york city i I love the museums i i love the met lincoln center I i love theater so I have really the best of both worlds, and I'm living off the grid, living wild. I'm comfortable with that, and I still have the the, the city to embrace culture with. And you had asked me about my new show. I can't really talk about my new show that much as far as in detail, but it's going to help change the world. Well, I encourage everyone who's listening to uh, follow Puma uh, online. Keep keep track of what he track him. I suppose we could say online, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, when the new show comes out, uh, hopefully you'll take a look. We're we're out of time here, but uh, thank you for listening to Feast Your Ears. Big thank you to Kristen Baylor, who's my producer, and to Liz Smith, who engineers this show every Wednesday. And uh, if you like this show, you can find more uh, episodes of Feast Your Ears and other great shows on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks very much. Network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.